0: The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to EllenBecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon.
1: The Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive, in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also located in the village of Whitefish Bay, in the Equitable Bank building, just directly across from Winkies and Kitty Corner from Sendex. And if you're going to be in Florida this winter, which I'll be there some of the time, please stop and see me in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like more details, of course, you can always go to EllenBecker.com. Today is, you know, I... Sometimes I just, I think to myself, I say, today is such a really special show <laughs> because one of my friends is actually doing the show and someone that I admire and trust is going to be talking to us about healthy hearts. And I know that if you're tuning in and you say, oh, there Karen goes again. I mean, I thought the name of this show was Money Sense. And uh, one of the reasons that this has become so important, um, my guest today is Dr. Um, Uh, I'm going to talk to Tony DeFranco, and and I'll give you a little bit of his background in just a minute. But we sit down and talk about finance and heart disease and a variety of different things because one of the things that has become very clear as I'm working with my clients and my clients are aging with me – is that one of the most expensive things that can happen in someone's life is health care issues and we you talk about worrying about the stock market and you talk about worrying about um, how much things cost in inflation what you really need to be looking at is your health care and what the cost of your health care is going to be and When I sit down with clients, I feel that there's so much more than just managing investment portfolios. It's really helping people to understand what their risks are. And so I have really taken on the concept of educating my clients about their health and what the impact of not being healthy can be on their portfolios. And so it just seemed to be an absolute given to have Dr. DeFranco on actually talking about heart health. And his background is interventional and preventative cardiologist and director of cardiac intensive care, at Saint Rose Saint Luke, um, for the last eleven years, he's an adjunct clinical associate professor of medicine at UW Madison, an immediate past president of the Wisconsin chapter of American College, uh, the American College of Cardiology, and trained at the University of Chicago and Cleveland Clinic Foundation. And I remember this is many years ago talking to Dr. DeFranco and saying, oh, you're a heart doctor and you fix hearts. And I remember him saying something similar to, I do fix hearts, but there's a whole big deal about hearts. Some of us are electricians. Some of us are plumbers. (laughs) It's not like... It's just a heart. And I was fascinated because I thought a cardiologist, a cardiologist. But in truth, that's not really how it works. There are specializations in understanding the heart and some really specific things that people really need to know. And just coronary heart disease, you see all these statistics out there. And they're frightening, Dr. DeFranco.
0: Thanks, Welcome, for having by me the way. Go. Thanks for having me, Karen. <laughs> it's great to be here. Yes, the statistics are frightening because the fact is that more than half of Americans will die of some form of cardiovascular disease. But there's a better side to that coin, and that is that we're able to prevent the disease and live longer and live better with the disease. And we've learned much more about preventing the disease. I'm sure your listeners and your clients not only want to live a long life, but they want to live life well. An active and life. Long, and an active life. Yeah. And that's what our goal is.
1: When you talk about um, coronary disease, and is this something that, I know the answer is yes, it's preventable, but Is it inherited? Is it sort of a predestined disease that you might get?
0: The primary cause of heart disease is thought to be genetic, but there are other factors like smoking and diabetes and so on that can accelerate the disease. So if you're cursed with the wrong genetics and you have um, one or more or several bad risk factors that can accelerate or increase the chances of getting the disease and getting it early. On the other hand, there are some people whose families just seem to escape the disease and even one or two risk factors may not lead to a heart attack at an early age or any age at all. So therapy and diagnosis really has to be individualized.
1: You know, when you came in the room today, we were talking about heart disease and my mother in two weeks turns 90 and she just had had heart surgery um, last Monday and she's 90 years old and she was back in her at uh, Three Pillars by Thursday and I'm thinking 90 years old and yet you have many situations where it doesn't matter what age you are as long as you're aware and you pay attention.
0: Absolutely. Yes, you were telling me that your <laughs> mom had her aortic valve replaced miraculously without <laughs> surgery. This is uh, the most dramatic development I've seen in the Nearly 30 years that I've been practicing cardiology, we can now replace aortic valves without surgery by using catheters, either by going through the heart directly or by going through the arteries. I think it was my partner, Doctor. Alakaband, who yes. and Doctor. O'Hare, who saved your mom's life, and and she's out of the hospital, which yes. is pretty typical. Uh, so we can now treat many diseases that 10 years ago we could only dream of treating.
1: So, what kind of other diseases are people? Being faced with?
0: Well, there's coronary artery disease, of course, which is just the hardening of the arteries or the plaque, as a layperson might say. But other very common heart diseases are atrial fibrillation, an irregular heart rhythm that can predispose to stroke hypertensive heart disease, which can happen if people don't get good control of their blood pressure, and heart failure, which um, is a sort of a misleading term. A lot of people think of heart failure as the heart failing, but in fact, half of people with heart failure actually have normal pumping function. It is a derangement of the heart and kidneys that causes fluid retention. So there are many forms of heart disease that plumbers, electricians, and other specialists that I work with take care of.
1: And Heart disease does not discriminate on age. It
0: does not discriminate (laughs) on age, gender, race, or anything. Women are just as susceptible as men, maybe just a few years later. Uh, It affects every race. It affects everyone on the planet. In fact, one of our colleagues here from Wisconsin did CT scans on Egyptian mummies and found heart disease even in them from thousands of years ago. So it's not only a disease of contemporary humans.
1: Why are you doing what you do?
0: Because we love what we do. I don't know a single (laughs) colleague that I practice with who does not love what they do. In fact, the average age of American cardiologists is over 55. And yet most of us are still practicing because we love taking care of patients.
1: Yes. And interacting and seeing and families. I mean, I was just... You know, I have to say, when they talked about doing heart surgery on my mom, I'm thinking she's 90 years old. And they said it, they'll increase her, car. you know, her um, her life. And her enjoyment of her life and my mom was all how to get do it and I'm thinking 90 years old am I going to be that interested but yet it was a breeze she sailed right
0: through it. Well imagine the satisfaction and excitement <clears throat> that you get being a physician and looking at a 90 year old woman who thinks that she's probably going to die and convincing her that no if we do this procedure or give you this medication not only could you live another year two three four but you could live well that's an exciting way to spend your it professional is. life.
1: You know, Dr. DeFranco, I have, um, well, my clients are aging with me and I'm watching some of my clients have many of these different diseases and um, and they just, I, I can't tell you how many times they'll say to me, I thought something was wrong. I could kind of tell, but I didn't go to the doctor and then they go to the doctor and it's too late. What is that all
0: about? Oh, Karen, that's a great question. You know, a certain percentage of heart attacks, perhaps half, come with no warning at all. But the other half or so, most of those patients will have some symptoms in the days, weeks, or sometimes even months before the heart attack or stroke occurs. And so I would encourage anyone, any of our listeners who are having any symptoms now or in the future that they think might be their heart or might be due to a a stroke. What symptoms? Chest pain. Shortness of breath, shortness of breath with activities like mowing the lawn that didn't cause shortness of breath a week or or a month or some other time in the past, uh, lightheadedness um, or changes in vision, uh, minor changes in uh, strength of an arm or a leg. Any of those symptoms should prompt immediately a call to their primary care physician or their cardiologist if they have one.
1: And why why do people resist that? You know, they always. I read something a long time ago that said behind every uh, male doctors a patient is a woman pushing them to the doctor sure. <laughs> <laughs> That men particularly resist going to a doctor. So from your perspective, what is that all about?
0: Well, one of our most common defense <clears throat> mechanisms is denial, right? We deny changes in the stock market. We deny <laughs> changes in our health. And so uh, we sort of put off what we don't want to face. And uh, unfortunately, uh, my gender seems to do that more than women do. And, and it is true. A lot of times um, I will see a new male patient who's being brought in by his wife because he's telling her about her symptoms. <laughs> But you know, that's, it's not only men. Women mm-hmm. often may feel that they've got other responsibilities. Family members, they've got to take care of their husbands and so on. So it's just human nature that we sometimes ignore or put off things that we don't want to face.
1: Well, and the world has changed. In the era of my mom, which she would be the one pushing my dad into the doctor's office, now women are bo- women are working, men are working, and they're busy. And I think people overlook symptoms until they're too late
0: unfortunately that's true and so
1: that's a hard one let's take a quick break Um, my guest today is Dr. DeFranco and we are talking about heart disease we're also talking about reasons to be healthy stay healthy and from the perspective of a financial perspective I think that when we look at people who I look at, my clients who have saved and done such a really great job, and then we look at what is the impact of risk, I look at what is the impact of inflation, what is the impact of taxes, and there's no larger impact. On a portfolio, then if someone gets sick, or if two people actually get sick, the erosion of a portfolio at that time is so vast. And so, I really believe it's important to encourage uh, my own family, to encourage my employees, to encourage my clients to stay healthy and to be aware of all of the things that you can do. And when we come back, let's talk about. Um, I had talked with you recently for last year. Every year we try to do something special for our employees, and I came up with the idea of doing the heart tests, and you helped me and educated me on that, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen. Today is Dr. Tony DiFranco, and he is a cardiovascular physician at Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center. And I have had many opportunities to talk with him about um, health and what's happening with health care and how health care really can um, make or break a retirement. And I... You know, I find things that I get so curious about. And, of course, at my age, I was had all of my kids several years ago, and I went through the heart tests that were being given. Leave your clothes on and everything. They just zip you through this little tunnel and out again, and you get your results. And we have a lot of, of, of employees who are in their 30s, and uh, some are older, but it's a pretty diverse group. And I had said, shouldn't we get everybody one of those tests, and you came back and said, "Nah, not probably," <laughs> because it some of that do, is dependent on age some of those different types of tests. So what are the things that people can use to be preventive?
0: Well, the first thing is what's called a clinical risk assessment. That is simply a physician or a healthcare provider looking looking at and talking with the individual patient about their weight, smoking, (coughs) exercise habits, dietary habits, family history, whether or not they have diabetes, whether they've been screened for diabetes, and very importantly, what their blood pressure is. And by putting together a composite of that we can come up with what's called a score and predict their risk of developing clinical or overt heart disease over the next 10 years. If one is middle-aged and if that score is in the middle range, then sometimes uh, what we call adjunctive testing in this Case, what you're talking about is a calcium score can sometimes add incremental value, incremental information to the patient and doctor about how aggressively to treat cholesterol, how aggressively to treat blood pressure. And so when you came to me and asked me about screening your whole staff, well, many of them were in their 30s, and that's probably a bit too young. The concept here is that as atherosclerosis, plaque, develops, it becomes calcified, and that calcium can be picked up on a CT scan. So for the 50, year old, 55-year-old, 60-year-old person who is questioning whether or not they really need the cholesterol treatment that their physician or provider recommending, if they do have occult coronary disease on this scan, that could influence their decision not only about whether to take medication, but how aggressively to treat all of those risk factors.
1: Can you explain to me that term, widow-maker? <laughs>
0: Well, to Everybody's
1: be, afraid of the widow maker. Uh, well,
0: let's uh, but, remember, it's an equal opportunity disease. There are widower maker lesions too. Yes. And that's simply a, a, a blockage or a plaque rupture, a heart attack, in the, a particular part of the left anterior descending that tends to have a higher fatality rate than other types of heart attacks.
1: When something like that happens, I mean, what I've been told is, I mean, it's a rare that you can... Um, survive something like that.
0: Well, it depends if you make it to the hospital or not. Um, A a, a little known uh, achievement of cardiology generally around the world has been that if you uh, survive to the hospital with a heart attack, your chances of leaving are generally 90 to 95%. Uh, The challenge is to get people to call 911 as soon as they develop symptoms because it's that golden first hour as we refer to it that really makes the difference between what percentage of people are. ultimately going to survive.
1: What about people traveling? It just occurs to me, I'm going to be traveling. (laughs) I think my heart is pretty good. Um, But what about people that are traveling and and things like that that can be really
0: tough yes but you know worldwide in most of the developed world um, heart attack care is really very similar and very advanced if you look at uh, survival rates and and treatment rates and even eastern european countries where i just had the privilege of visiting and teaching um, uh, they're just as good as in the united states now in parts of the undeveloped uh, or underdeveloped world Emerging countries that can be a little bit uh, different. So, traveling to exotic places can be Mm -hmm. difficult. Also, airline travel it's it's surprising the number of events occur on air. I've been on
1: airplanes where events have occurred probably three or four times in my life.
0: Yes, as have I. Yeah. And that can be dicey because uh, even if you're flying over one of the world's best cardiac hospitals, you're still pretty far away from it.
1: Yes. That is something. Well, let's just talk about some of those controversial questions. Um, and one of the things that I've had a conversation with you about is there's so many ads on TV about medications and people coming into you and diagnosing themselves and saying, I want to get on this medication. <laughs> <laughs> just write me a script and I'll be gone. You know? yes. And so there's There's information out there that isn't truly accurate and just like everybody shouldn't own the same stock – Everybody's shouldn't have the same prescription. Uh,
0: That's right, because therapy has to be directed to the individual (laughs) patient, not just to the group. Direct to consumer advertising, or DTC advertising, as the industry calls it, has its pluses and minuses. On the one hand, it does raise awareness to people who maybe haven't been to the physician in four or five years or longer uh, about new treatment options. On the other hand, that long list of side effects that the FDA mandates every one of those commercials has can sometimes scare. people away and that leads them to underestimate the benefit of a potential medication that may actually be helpful to them so it's a two-edged sword so Consult your physician for uh, for each of those questions. Okay,
1: so I'm going to bring up that consult your physician because you just said if somebody hasn't been to the doctor in four or five years, it sounded like that's not a really good idea. How often should people go to the doctor, and how, and how can they be preventative rather than reactionary to something that's wrong?
0: Well, that's a great question. First, everyone <clears throat> should have regular screenings of from a heart perspective, blood pressure, and cholesterol, and that should be again even in our teenage years and if everything's normal at least every 5 years thereafter but generally once we get it to the 45 50 55 year old range having your own primary care physician who knows you who knows your preferences who's had discussions with you about what your treatment preferences are and who can do just an annual quick exam for blood pressure the appropriate laboratory screening is really invaluable
1: so i have to i'm going to own up to this so i signed up with that Me Too or whatever.
0: Oh, 23 and Me. 23
1: and Me and the other one. So I did the 23, I did the other one first and it came back that I had absolutely nothing. And I'm thinking, well, that's totally impossible. And so then I did the 23 and Me to double check. And it came back that I didn't have any signs of whatever. And just recently, my inbox was from 23 and Me that they did an Alzheimer's and all these other tests on me. And I opened it up and it said that, they couldn't determine that i had any of these what do they call them not genes but mutations mutations and i'm thinking oh thank god God, all that forgetfulness I've had isn't really going to indicate that I am getting some kind of dementia. And uh, how true are those things? I mean, you know, I read it and mine is like, yeah, you're susceptible to gray hair and a larger Adam's apple or something. I'm like, truly.
0: (laughs) Well, Karen, what you're asking about is a new field in medicine called precision medicine. And that's the concept that a lot of our responses to different therapies and different medical is genetically determined. And because we all have many genetic differences, one might be able to sequence the patient's or the person's uh, genome and then make predictions about how they're likely to respond to this or that medication and so on. Right now, there are about 50 mutations that the American Society of Clinical Genetics has determined are important because they could affect treatment and diagnosis decisions in entire families. And many of these mutations are autosomal dominant, meaning that they run in families. So that if you find one person, you've potentially found an entire family who needs to be identified or treated. Now, we're not quite there yet. In other words, we can't do genetic analysis to predict who's going to get Alzheimer's disease. We can do some prediction about who might be more likely than another person. Same with heart disease, same with stroke and other other diseases. So we're very hopeful that in the next five years we'll make tremendous advances. For example, at Aurora St. Luke's, Dr. Jamil Tajik is teaching us a lot about using genetic testing to identify people with. With aneurysms who may be more prone to pass that disorder on to their family members and so on.
1: Let's take a quick break. And I alluded to the fact that we've got a whole bunch of questions about heart disease. And one of them, a couple of them, and we'll answer it when we get back, is what is the ideal blood pressure target? And I know I have very low blood pressure. And um, so I don't know, is that good or bad? I guess you know, sometimes I don't even really understand. So when we come back, you can tell me if that's good that I have low blood pressure. <laughs> With that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Dr. Anthony DiFranco and he is a heart physician. He is with the Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center right right here in Milwaukee. And uh, I'm really grateful that he is my friend and that he was willing to come on and, and talk about some of the things that are really important for people to really embrace and understand and to be aware of. Because as I've mentioned in the other segments, one of the most devastating things to a portfolio, and you've worked so hard your whole life, can be medical care. And sometimes I think what you said, Dr. DeFranco is that you just get you're not lucky and you get some bad genes, but other times you you do have choices and you can prevent some of the things that can happen. And um, earlier, I believe you said that one thing can lead to another. It's like one thing gets out of control and something else can happen. And you gave me a list of fantastic questions. And the first one, what is what is the ideal blood pressure target? And I never quite understand that because I have very low blood pressure. And once a doctor told me that you should carry something in your wallet that if you ever get hurt in an accident, they may think you're bleeding out. So I don't know. I was like, really? What am I going to carry? And uh, But what is that whole thing with blood pressure? And how do people really know how to evaluate that?
0: Well, think back to when we were all in elementary <clears throat> school and high school. Most of us had blood pressures of 110, 100, over 70 or so. And so that really is a normal blood pressure for a young, healthy human being. As we get older, blood pressure tends to rise. And therefore, there's been a discussion or scientific inquiry for the last 50 years about what is the ideal blood pressure for a 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old. Well, the bad news is that the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association just lowered the bar. And now a top number, systolic number of 130 and a bottom number of 90 is now called hypertension. And so that's a pretty low bar. Um, And the uh, issue is how aggressive should we be in giving people medications to get to those numbers? Well, first of all, one size does not fit all. We've learned that looking at a patient's home blood pressure readings can uh, add to the knowledge that we have about uh, office blood pressure readings. Second is we're not machines. We're human beings and blood pressure changes not only from hour to hour, but from minute to minute. So we cardiologists generally are more interested in the trend of someone's blood pressure rather than an individual number. And third is uh, there are ways besides medication to lower blood pressure, Um, cutting alcohol intake, exercising, eating uh, a low salt diet, eating the right diet um, and getting enough sleep. And if one snores and has sleep apnea, treating that all of those things can add to medication in lowering blood pressure.
1: So my last one was 98 over 77.
0: Boy, are you lucky. I just
1: just pulled this up on my phone. And uh, does that mean I'm home free? Uh, Do I have to not worry about anything?
0: You're not home free, but you don't have (laughs) hypertension.
1: So all this craziness, here I am. That's right. No, and I don't care about
0: your genetic test. You don't have to worry about Alzheimer's (laughs) either, Karen. (laughs) But you see, that blood pressure for an an 80 or 90-year-old might, in fact, be too low. It might Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they're having too much medication. And furthermore, as we age, as your clients get into their 80s and 90s, oftentimes because they lose weight, because they're eating less, and and just because of aging, their blood pressure may actually fall and they may need less medication to avoid those Mm -hmm. falls and injuries that elderly people are prone to get. So
1: again, it's get into your doctor. It's being consistent and being proactive. One size
0: does not fit all. Yes,
1: and educated.
0: And educated.
1: That's what we're doing today. Why should my bad or LDL, cholesterol B what should my bad or LDL cholesterol depend?
0: It depends on whether or not you have known hardening of the arteries, atherosclerosis or not, and what the rest of one's risk factor profile is. So in general, the bad cholesterol or LDL, you can remember that because you want your L to be lower. You (laughs) want that below 130. But for people who have established heart disease or have had a TIA or a stroke, we want that even lower, less than 100, less than 70. And well, now the most Recent data suggests that even an LDL of 50 to 70 may be better still. We're all anxiously awaiting the new guidelines that are expected out this fall in terms of what the ideal levels for any individual patient are. The bottom line, one size doesn't fit all each doctor, each patient has to decide what the best level and how to get there is for each individual person.
1: Individualized. Okay, so I can go into my bathroom right now and on my little closet, I've got an aspirin, <laughs> baby aspirins. <laughs> and I think I did them for about a week or something. And I went, what am I taking this baby aspirin for? Should I take an aspirin to prevent a heart attack? <laughs>
0: well, that, that is one of the most pressing questions <clears throat> in cardiology today. In fact, what we know is that if you've already had a heart attack, that an aspirin, Aspirin will reduce the chances of a second heart attack. But we don't know whether people who have not yet had a heart attack would benefit by taking an aspirin prophylactically. In fact, this fall, there will be two large studies that will come out trying to answer, we hope, that will answer that question. So, again, that answer has to be individualized if one has a high risk factor profile if you've had a calcium score scan and you do have a high score then probably you should take an aspirin if your doctor approves however that answer may change as your clients as our listeners age because aspirin does increase the risk of bleeding and so Mm. as we get into our 70s 80s and beyond uh, sometimes it's uh, better not to take the aspirin to decrease the risk of bleeding again One size doesn't fit all. You
1: know, when you talk about bleeding, I've had so many clients come in, particularly in the fall and the the spring, where they're gardening and trimming, and they have cuts on their arms and things that don't heal. And that's a tough one. I mean for infection, for a whole lot of reasons. And
0: again, that's why their regimen has to be tailored. And sometimes supplements that people take on their own over-the-counter, like St. John's Wort or uh, the latest fad is CBD oil, can interact with some of the blood thinners and antiplatelet medications that we prescribe. So tell your doctor everything that you're taking, not just prescription medication.
1: So here's a fun one. I can remember telling Julie for years, on my gravestone, I won fasting at last. (laughs) Diet, which is best? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, that's a that's a controversy. Well, uh, or,
1: or I feel like a piece of yeast in a dish.
0: I don't know. <laughs> there are all kinds of diets out there, and some are backed by anecdotes, and some are backed by science. The two that are backed by science are the DASH diet, or the dietary approaches to uh, reduce hypertension, uh, and the Mediterranean diet. Both of those diets have uh, proven cardiovascular benefits. Recently, they've been combined into something called the MIND diet, which combines the beneficial aspects of both. But from a general sense, you know, the diet that is best for an individual person is the diet that works best for them. You know, some of us just can't count calories. We just can't be bothered. And so a different approach might uh, work better. Uh, But in general, it's the principles of the diet that matter. Low in saturated fat, low in foods that are uh, low in uh, sodium, reasonable amounts of sodium, depending on the individual person and so on. And especially for heart patients, I struggle strongly Advocate an occasional uh, referral to a dietitian or a nutritionist because that's what can really help mm-hmm. more than a visit to the doctor. Than a- the
1: big fat out there now is fasting.
0: Yes, the keto diets. To, <laughs> the keto diets simply mean that uh, you, you are no longer using energy from the food that you ate at your last meal uh, or the day before, and you're now breaking down fats in your system. Um, well, for, there are some people for whom that might work, but generally most of us would recommend non-ketogenic diets, simply reducing the amount of calories and increasing the amount of exercise. As a general rule uh, to lose weight cut calories, to maintain weight exercise.
1: You know, it's like you can only put so much gas in a car before it overflows.
0: You know, <laughs>
1: I mean, there's no real magic to it. It's like saving money. Right. right. <laughs> there's no magic. You just have to do it. Okay. Should I take supplements? You kind of talked about that. And you said in just a shortly ago that Check with your doctor, especially if you're taking other things, to make sure that the combination is working for you. Everybody's body is different, and I think that's one of the hardest things with ads in on TV or in – um, newspapers or magazines you see them and it, they make it sound like it's good for everybody but it really should be individualized
0: yeah no question the <laughs> most common supplements are fish oil vitamin d coq10 in the cardiology mm-hmm. sphere this fall we'll have new information about fish oil the data on that has been somewhat mixed to date if there's a benefit it seems to be small but there may be some groups of patients who benefit especially if one has high triglycerides similarly with coq10 some physicians recommend it uh, if for patients who have muscle aches and pains if they take a statin, but the date on that is relatively weak. So um, again, I individualize my patient's care. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, does not recommend screening people um, for vitamin D deficiency. But here in Wisconsin, boy, we don't get a lot of sunshine, especially six months out of the year. And um, Most uh, people, uh, especially over the age of 40 or 50, would benefit by taking a vitamin D supplement if their doctor approves.
1: Satins.
0: Statins, a little statins, the <laughs> safest drugs that we physicians prescribe and clearly the class of cardiac medications proven, proven to reduce the rates of heart attack and stroke. The problem with statins, Karen, is that it's hard to get people to stay on a medication that doesn't make them feel any different. And unfortunately, in the state of Wisconsin, we at the American College of Cardiology have data that even after a heart attack and stroke, would you believe that 50% of patients are no longer filling their prescriptions for statin medication? Uh, mm. And that's a shame because those medications have been proven to reduce the risk of a second heart attack or stroke by more than 50%. A lot of that is just medical literacy. We physicians have got to do a better job at educating our patients how important it is to stay on that medication so that people don't drop off.
1: Hmm. What about coffee for oh. my heart?
0: Gosh, Karen, <laughs> I hope coffee's not bad for us.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Well, um, you know, it's hard to give an opinion about coffee because there are no randomized controlled trials. There are only primarily observational studies. And the observational studies seem to be down the middle of the road. Some show a little harm. Some show a little benefit. So I I think let's go back to that old Greek maxim, right? Everything in moderation. In fact, I think my grandmother used to tell me the same thing. Everything in moderation.
1: Yes. Um, What about screenings for atrial fib? carotid blockages, aneurysms, that kind of stuff. We're all getting those mailers, lifeline and all that stuff. Should people
0: do it? Well, for the right person, that might be beneficial. Um, The Problem sometimes with that with those screening mailers is that um, if one gets one at fifty five maybe you don't need one at fifty six or maybe before uh, going and spending the money on your own ask your primary care physician whether or not he or she thinks that that would be worthwhile for you so there is benefit to some people for some people for having those screenings but best to check with your doctor
1: blood clots. I'm going to add that one, because that one I hear about with people, and I hear that they're painful. I've never had anything like that, but um, how do people recognize them? And how do they deal with them? And do they happen frequently?
0: They do happen frequently. It (laughs) can happen to a completely normal person who takes a two or three or four hour plane or car flight. Um, It can happen to people who have a family history of blood clots forming in veins. And that blood clot is dangerous because it can break off and go to the lungs and 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 cause what is called a pulmonary embolism. So we always advise people who are taking long plane or car flights to get up, walk, stretch, even if you can't get out of your seat. And for goodness sakes, if in the first few days after such a trip, you have any sudden shortness of breath or any pain in the legs, see a physician.
1: What about those crazy stockings that people
0: buy? They work. <laughs> that are so tight. They work and those are called compression stockings yes. and um, the light ones you can buy over the counter the more significant ones you have to have a prescription for but they too work in preventing blood clots because they force blood into the deep mm-hmm. venous system where the blood clots form.
1: Let's take a quick break. My guest today is Dr. Tony DeFranco. He is a cardiovascular physician with Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center. And Dr. DeFranco, if somebody says, now this is my guy, I want to see him. How do they go about doing that?
0: Well, they can uh, uh, call Aurora St. Lutz at
1: uh, 414-649-6892.
0: Yeah. Or they can visit my website at takechargeofyourheart.com.
1: I love that. And with that, we'll be right back. welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Becker. If you would like more information on the Ellen Becker Investment Group and would like to work with um, financial advisors who really care, please give us a call at 262-691-3200 or go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Dr. Anthony DeFranco, cardiovascular physician at Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center. And i um, Dr. DeFranco, we talked about a little bit replacing my mom's valve and that. What are some of the other things that are new, that people really need to know about.
0: Well, there are technologies that we have now, Karen, that were would have been science fiction 10 or 15 years ago. For example, atrial fibrillation and irregular heart rhythm can now be cured in many patients by simply altering the electrical pathways of the heart. For patients who have end-stage heart failure uh, at Aurora St. Luke's, we've performed nearly 1,000 heart transplants since the beginning of the program, and now 850, um, not artificial hearts, but what are called a Assist devices, and um, eighty to ninety percent of people can live one to two or three years or longer with with these effective artificial hearts. Um, Mm -hmm. But I can't emphasize enough: the most dramatic advancement we've had is not in a technology or in a machine; it's in what we've learned about prevention by altering lifestyle and medication.
1: When um, you talk about prevention, one of the things you have to do is you have to find a doctor who you absolutely trust. You know, we've got our billboard out there that says transparency equals trust. And they have to come to you. They have to tell you everything. They have to be honest about the things. And, you know. We're all very vulnerable, and sometimes I know people come in and talk. They don't want to talk about their money because they don't think they have enough, or they've made a mistake, or they haven't done the right thing. And and the truth of it is, is that the only mistake is not really being open, whether you're talking to your financial advisor, or you're talking to your physician. So how does someone get the most out of their visit to their doctor? And I mean, patients can be frustrated, but I'm guessing a doctor could be frustrated as well. A a physician could... Like, want to pull out their hair sometimes.
0: (laughs) Karen, I'm sure you tell your clients, I work for you. I think most physicians uh, feel the same way. We work for our patients, not for the insurance company, not for the government. And so there are certain things a patient can do to really foster that relationship. The first is, um, write down your questions before you come to the doctor. Don't hesitate to ask the doctor, what other questions haven't I thought of or should I um, ask you? And bring a family member or a trusted friend to the doctor's appointment Because it's just human nature that we forget what the doctor may tell us. In fact, I don't mind if patients record our conversation so that they can play it back when they get home. Um, A a second thing is that if a patient is afraid to take a medication or doesn't want to take a medication or or thinks that a medication is causing a side effect, by all means, Tell me. Again, I work for you. If there's a a side effect that you're perceiving, then let's work through it rather than hiding that from me or from your doctor. Um, And uh, tell your doctor about any supplements that you're taking, about your dietary habits, about anything else that may influence the recommendations um, that they're recommending to you. And the, a, a, a new concept is health literacy. You know, a good doctor is by nature a good teacher. And that means not only being able to converse in plain English, but also giving you resources, websites, authoritative <laughs> places to go to for information. You know, a lot of the information in the South Lay Press is inaccurate, not because it's fake news, but because medical knowledge advances so rapidly that what we knew or thought was true three or five years ago has now been replaced by new information. So all of those things can can really help. And I think it's got to be a two way street. You know, a new uh, concept in medicine is shared decision making. We doctors don't like making decisions for our patients. We want to make decisions with patients. We want to help patients make their own decisions.
1: So a question that I'm curious about would be how important is bedside manner? (laughs) Now, you are A riot, and I know how smart you are, and I would come and sit down with you and talk about my heart any day of the week, and you could operate on my heart. In fact, I can't imagine anyone else that I would, so I don't know if I'm going to have a plumbing or an electrical problem, But um, how important is that? Because you hear people say, oh, he's a really great doctor, but he's got poor bedside manner or, or something like that. I mean, does that have an effect on your confidence and your trust?
0: Oh, of course it does. One has to have confidence in the system and the people providing you care. Now, if it's someone who um, is going to be a, a technician, I suppose, um, uh, then bedside manner may not matter quite so much. You want someone who is uh, going to be um, the most confident, technically Um, my wife just had eye surgery and um, I didn't really care about the doctor's bedside matter I wanted the best technician but uh, when I go to my uh, physician who's an uh, an internist that relationship is very important and you can bet he's even even better communicator than most of us want to be
1: so then it makes sense just as people um, go and test out a financial advisor to make sure that it's the right relationship people should feel comfortable going and testing out different doctors to find the one that really resonates with them and where they feel safe.
0: No question. You know, the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I I can't impress upon people the most, especially patients with diabetes. Um, If you don't take charge, if you're not proactive, the system is not really designed to come to you. You've got to go to the system and demand the care that you need. And feel free to ask the questions about what it is that you do need.
1: Because I think many different fields, they feel like someone is on a pedestal and they're afraid to ask those questions. But you said it earlier,
0: I'm working for you. No doubt about it. Yeah. And that's the only way you can get to that customized, individualized kind of care that we've been talking about for the last hour.
1: You had said that if people want to um, learn more and you have some um, great information on takechargeofyourheart.com. So people can go there for one thing.
0: Yes, and there's also um, the Aurora website at yes. Aurora.org uh, uh, and also the Aurora referral line, which is 800-694-6894 uh, 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 for a referral or self-referral to any uh, Aurora cardiovascular specialist. Do
1: you have any parting thoughts with health care changing and And just my listeners are out there, and uh, I know that they truly appreciate getting such straightforward advice in a way that they can hear it. That's what I just adore about you is that you always say things in a way that people can hear it because people don't move or act or do anything unless they can actually integrate it and feel, feel comfortable with the information.
0: So what would you say to my listeners? Well, as we all know, uh, healthcare is changing very rapidly and it's difficult to predict what the future is going to hold. I would just emphasize the difference between health insurance, which is the political debate, and health care. They're different. Uh, and in order to get good health care, you've got to be knowledgeable, you've got to have access, you've, and you've got to have knowledge, and you've got to be proactive. So prevention really is the key to all of the, d- the diseases, just like prevention for financial health is important. Prevention to live long and live well is important, um, and uh, fortunately, there are ways to get access to care, even if one has no insurance um, in the greater Milwaukee area. Uh, and um, there's no substitute for prevention.
1: My guest today is Dr. Anthony DeFranco. He is a card- cardiovascular physician at Aurora Saint Luke's Medical Center, and I believe the phone number was 414-649-6892 and so we've got to quit there's so much more to say but with that I want to say as always I hope that I made a difference in your personal and financial well-being and remember before we plan before we advise before we invest we always listen have a great weekend